Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited for you to join us today. To find out more about us, visit highway.com.au. Let me recap so you're up to speed and then we'll go on there. And I just pray that something that I speak about today just blesses you and meets you right where you're at this morning. So I've already done 12 points. I know it sounds like a lot and I'm going to be adding to it today, but things I've discovered on my faith journey. Number one was that trust is a person, not a doctrine. The clearest picture that we have of what God is like is Jesus. Number two was transformation is the goal. The longer I spend on my faith journey, the more I realize that it needs to be a transformation from the inside out. It's not just enough to have knowledge. It's not just enough to know of God, but it's this transformation and this application of what we know. Number three I spoke about was success is obedience. I think being... um, obedient, I think the mundane is underrated. I think being steadfast and things like this, I know they don't look good on Instagram, but I feel like they're core to Christianity. Number four was our faith is not responsible for outcomes. I've had heaps of feedback on this one. This morning, maybe that's you. You need to release yourself with the pressure that maybe you believe for something and it didn't come to pass. Your faith is not responsible for our outcomes. Our faith is in God, full stop. Number five, grace is gray. Number six, I am not the judge. Number seven, we are stewards, not providers. We actually believe that everything we have comes from him in the first place. Number eight, Christianity is a team sport. You get to play a part. You're not on the bench in life when it comes to ministry and God at work in your life. Number nine, I can't change anyone. That's above my pay grade. No matter how hard I try. Number 10, this isn't easy. I'm sorry if you thought that, you know, like that Napoleon Dynamite moment. Remember that movie? Vote for me and all your wildest dreams will come true. It's kind of not how it happens in the kingdom of God. We said yes, and it's a daily yes. It's a moment by moment by moment. It's a series of yeses. It's a yes, Lord. It's not just a yes, and then everything sorts itself out, but this life has challenges. Number 11, You find what you're looking for. What are we looking for? Number 12, I spoke about church is good for me. I just spoke about my journey in church life and how it's actually added to my life and helped make me the person that I am today. Recap, done. Number 13, are you ready? The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Um, I could talk about the omnipresence of God. That means that God is everywhere and That is theologically true. I believe that God is everywhere. But what I've realized is that it's bigger than that God is just everywhere. Because sometimes when we say that God is everywhere, He's omnipresent, it's like, yeah, He's kind of everywhere, but He's kind of always wants to move from my situation. To sort of articulate what I'm trying to say, I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 28. And the story is of Jacob and um, Jacob and Esau, the twins that... Many people know the story. I'm sure a lot of us would. And um, Jacob deceives his dad, Isaac, into getting his older brother Esau's blessing. He goes and, you know, does all the stuff and just completely fraudulently rips off his brother and deceives his dad and is on the run. So he's running away and he's sort of getting away because he's done terrible decisions. He's very, very huge lack of integrity, and he finds himself in this place, and I'm going to read from verse, where am I, 28, let's read verse 16, let's just go straight there. 
Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. In the midst of Jacob's deceitfulness, in the midst of his running for his life, in the midst of his most hardest moment, he has this epiphany. He goes to sleep on a rock for a pillow. Who thinks that's a bit? I'm a terrible sleep. I struggle on a motel pillow, let alone a rock for a pillow. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. This morning, somebody needs to hear this. The Lord is in your place, and you did not know it. I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know whether it's a health crisis. I don't know whether you're stuck in grief or financial pressure or whatever your valley looks like this morning, but I'm here to tell you that the Lord is in this place. Let's shift our focus onto Him and say, God, I believe that you're everywhere, but not just that you're everywhere, that you are my ever-present help in times of need. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, our very present, another translation, our ever-present help in trouble. God isn't just a God that's everywhere, or God isn't just a God that's far away, but God is a God that is active and alive, and He cares about our situations. In my grief, in my hardships, in my challenges, maybe this morning in your mental health challenge, God is our ever-present help for you this morning. Wherever we find ourselves today, the Lord is in this place. What would it look like if we lived this? Like every challenge that came our way. When we didn't just kind of, I don't know, post about it on Facebook. But imagine if our first reaction was to go, hey, no, no. No, God, you're in this place. What would happen if it wasn't just the negative verbal diarrhea, but what happens if it wasn't, no, 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 God, you're in this place. Imagine what our faith would look like then. Imagine the difference in our perspective. Whatever the challenges you're facing right now, the Lord is in your place. Cool? Number 14. My emotions can lie and my feelings aren't facts. My emotions can lie and my feelings aren't facts. In my later teenage years, I grew up in a time where it was cool to be an emo. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Remember that phase? Emmanuel, I saw that kind of thing. It was a bit hard to see with a mask in the way, but it was like, cool. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I feel like there's a bit of a disconnect here. I don't know whether it's the masks or the generations or what's going on, but something weird's going on here. Where it was cool to be emotional, where it was like almost cool to wear your depressed look on your face and your jeans way too tight. Like literally before they made guys skinny jeans were available, we were buying girls jeans. Can I repent this morning? But I grew up in this era where the music was real depressive and it was almost like cool. I don't know if anyone can relate to what I'm going through and there was this season, all the bands that, you know, I sort of reminisce over what all this emotional thing and it was cool to be emotional. It was true to yourself to be emotional, but I'm here to tell you my emotions can lie. Just because I feel something doesn't make it a fact. I tried to ask Kim, can I bring back the eyebrow ring? It was a hard no. (laughs) Can I bring back the ear piercing? No. My emotions can lie and my feelings aren't fact. Some of us, and I've been guilty of this in the past too, I give too much time to my emotions. 
I give too much time. Just because I feel something doesn't make it a fact and it doesn't make it right. John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. I wonder what it would look like if we didn't let things come against us, if we didn't let this affect us so much. I think I've already shared this scripture in a different point, but 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My grace is sufficient for me. Who, if you've felt like emotionally, physically, if you've felt like you're not enough, you're in good company this morning. If you've felt inadequate, join the club. If you felt like you didn't have it all together, if you felt disqualified, if you felt all these things, you are in great company. But there are higher truths than what I feel. There's a filter of Scripture that I need to run my emotions through. There's a filter of the cross that I need to run what I feel through sometimes and go, no, 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 just because I feel that doesn't make it true. Jesus, about to die on the cross, about to be crucified, about to be tortured. He's in the garden and he goes, Father, take this cup from me. I don't feel like going to the cross right now. I don't feel like having a crown of thorns put on my head. I don't feel like being mocked. I don't feel like being ridiculed, but not my will. Nevertheless, not my will, but what you want, God. God, I believe that there's a bigger plan going on behind the scenes. Let me say it this way. Maybe our emotional intelligence and spiritual maturity are more connected than we first thought. Maybe my emotional intelligence and spiritual maturity are more connected than I first thought. What am I trying to say is that I'm trying to say that when I have a fuller revelation of who God is and when I have Him at work and evident in my life, it's like I have a stability under the surface. That I'm not driven up and down by my emotions as much, but I have this confidence, this assurance in who He is in my life. That He is, like I spoke about just before, my ever-present help in time of need. That He will never leave me nor forsake me. That I know the plans that he has, that he, that he has a good plan for my life. That we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'll fear no evil for he is with me. My emotions can lie and my feelings are not always fact. Number 15, my conscience is my responsibility. My conscience is my responsibility. I recently read um, through Corinthians, the first and second Corinthians, and Paul talks a lot about this, and, uh, and he talks a lot about the conscience in the fact of being a stumbling block to someone else and how we need to be governed by our own conscience. Um, I've written this down to try and describe what I'm trying to say. I said, in the absence of specific moral law, we are governed by our conscience. The Bible is very clear on some things, and there's areas where it's not clear on. And I believe that we are to be governed by our conscience, and I believe that, our whole, that the Holy Spirit at work in our lives can sharpen our conscience. Have you ever done something that you know was wrong? Nobody. Okay, that's just me. Sorry. 
Maybe everyone else. Let's swap places. Everyone else preach. I'll sit there. First time you felt really bad about it. Second time you felt half bad about it. Third time you felt, oh, it's all right. One hundredth time it didn't feel bad at all. Do you, can you understand what I'm, can you relate to what I'm talking about? That's our conscience. My conscience is my responsibility. Let's not be people with weak consciences. Let's not be people that have compromised so much that we can't feel what's right and wrong anymore. Let's read what Paul's talking about. 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But beware lest someone, some, oh sorry, lest somehow this liberty of yours, so he's talking about people that find things permissible. In this case, he's talking about eating food that have been offered to idols, but I'll explain more in a moment. That this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Verse 10. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened? Is that the word? To eat those things offered to idols. So what he's saying is, hey, if you think something's not wrong, but someone that thinks it's wrong sees you doing something that they think is wrong, will not they be challenged to do what they think is wrong? I know there's a lot of things in there. And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So Paul's saying, hey, you're actually sinning against God, against Christ, when we do things that make other people stumble because it's against their conscience. Does that make sense? He goes on to say in uh, chapter 10, verse 23, 23, sorry, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. My conscience is my responsibility. I just pray that we would just hear the voice of the Holy Spirit afresh. Because I've noticed that when my conscience is seared, when I, when I have kind of burnt it too many times, I don't feel things as much as I once did. And I believe that's the active work of us allowing the Holy Spirit in our life and say, Holy Spirit, sharpen my conscience again. Holy Spirit, show me right and wrong. Bring back to me my thoughts of, and my convictions, Holy Spirit. Show me your way and your path because that's what I want to live. Number 15, my conscience is my responsibility. I'll keep going. Number 16, I am the gardener of my heart. I am the gardener of my heart. Who likes gardening? Some people. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. I am the gardener of my heart. At my parents' old house, they had a lot of palm trees. They lived in North Queensland, and I don't know how many palm trees, 30, 40 palm trees, like a lot of palm trees, and, um, which is good until I went back there to visit them for holidays, and you know, you know, like any good dad, he put his son to work, you know. Um, and then after one Christmas holidays, I come back with tennis elbow because I'm on this extension pole on the chainsaw helping dad for a day or whatever. And Kim's like, you're not helping him ever again. 
Mum and dad asked me how I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I complain to Kim every second of every day, you know, so. Kim's like, no, that's it. Tell them the truth. But one of these palm trees, like, I reckon it would be about this round, like, massive. For those maybe listening on a podcast, I don't know, about 500 mil diameter. And um, beside this massive palm tree was a quarter line. A quarter line's kind of like a thin, straight up, and on the top it has these wispy little leaves. It looks a little bit like a yucca, but the leaves are soft, do you know what I mean? And this is like a sort of a green quarter line, and it was just brushing up against this palm tree, just ever so slightly, and as it grew, it kind of grew just a touch, and the tips of this quarter line, this, that wouldn't be any, you know, any fatter than your wrist, like it was a lot smaller of a plant than this massive palm tree. And this constant pressure, this constant touching of the palm tree from this quarter line caused the palm tree to almost go like straight off course and grow sideways and then grow up over to get away from this quarter line. Crazy, Would, do you think that that's crazy? That a massive palm tree would change the direction in the course of its growing to get out of the line of this insignificant little tree that would just, it, it just was crazy to see. What I'm trying to say is this, little things become big things. These little irritations, these little annoyances, if we don't keep in check, man, if we don't cut down the quarter lines, if we don't trim back the small things in our life, it will send us off course and we'll find ourselves not where we meant to be or not where we thought we were going to be because of these little irritations that we didn't deal with. Our job is to garden our heart. Deal with the issues in our heart. It's easier when they're small. We um, owned a house in Pack Pines for five years and I planted yuccas everywhere. I don't know if you know what yuccas are. They're called yuccas because they're yuck. And I was like, these things are free. No one wants them. This is awesome. I'm getting free plants from everywhere. I can snap them off anywhere and throw them in the garden. These are awesome. And I filled all the gardens up with yuccas. If anyone has had yuccas for an extended period of time, it's great when they're small. They look nice. Yeah, that's cool. Free plants. Awesome. I drive past the house now, and because it backed onto a school, I can sort of see the backyard. It's like these yuccas have just like taken over the whole thing. It's just like gone crazy. I remember Pastor Steve got us around because we needed some yuccas just to fill in something at church here, and his yucca was like two stories tall and about this round and just like massive. And, and we're like, this is awesome. We're getting free plans for church. And Pastor Steve's the real winner because we're over there chopping his tree down for free. <laughs> Sneaky Pastor Steve. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that we need to deal with issues when they're small. Especially issues of the heart. Because given time to small issues, they just become really, really big issues. In Matthew 13, Jesus, um, down the end of it from verse 18, he goes on and explains the parable of the sower. And I'll, um, I'd like to read it for you. From verse 19, uh, let's 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the weed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. 
Now he who received the weed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. What am I saying? Is that our heart is the soil in this parable. We need to garden it so that we choose what grows and what doesn't grow there. Maybe you've let comparison. It started off as this little quarter line sized thing, but it sent your life on a sideways course. And now you're so consumed by comparing what someone else has got or what they're doing with their life rather than being who God created you to be. Maybe we need to deal with comparison. Maybe judgment like I've already spoke about in this message. Maybe it's like inferiority. Maybe you just don't feel as good as everyone else and you've let that thing grow. I've found that we're all just teenagers. Some of us are dealing with our stuff and some haven't. Have, have you ever noticed that like, it's like I'm getting older but I don't feel any older? Is that a revelation? Come on, someone old, say, give me a high five here. Thank you, Mr. Ian Pike, I see that hand. If we can get to 80 and still feel like we're just a young kid on the inside, man, let's be older people. Let's be mature Christians that deal with our hard issues. I don't want to be 50, 60, 70 and still dealing with the same issues in my heart that I was dealing with when I was a teenager. I am the gardener of my heart. I want to do the hard work of the hard work so that God can use me. Number 17, I can't love God and hate people. Number 17, I can't love God and hate people. I know this sounds really obvious, but it's actually hard. I'm not talking about anyone in this room, of course, that would be. John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. And then in Matthew 22, 36, he was asked this question, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I can't love God and hate people. Do you know that humanity carries the image of God? God created mankind in His image. So I feel like when we treat people harshly, when we hate, we don't say that we hate because we're nice Christians. We know that's not in our Christianese language anymore. But we do on the inside. But when we hate or when we treat others wrongly, we're actually treating God wrongly because they are His image. The best illustration that I can say is this. You don't love me and hate my kids. Can any parent get an amen to that? It's like, you don't want to be my friend? <laughs> Hate my kids, that's the best way you can do it. You want me to hate you? Hate, hate my son, hate my daughter, that's the best way that you can possibly tick me right off. 
What happens if we're all God's kids? And our hate, our dislike, the way that we've been treating others wrong, what if it offends God? Like someone hating your kids would offend you. I can't love God and hate people. I need to hurry up. Number 18, faith and works. Faith and works. The book of James like smashes this. James 2, 14. What profit is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, amen, brother, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what profit, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that the faith without deeds is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not faith only. Works, what are our works? Our works are our deeds, it's our obedience and our, it's our application of what we believe. If our faith is our belief system, I feel like without the practical side of that, without the works, it could be abbreviated to BS for belief system. What I'm trying to say is that if we don't put this into practice, we're in dangerous thing. It's not just about knowing a theology. It's not just about believing the right things. It's about applying them and letting it transform our lives. I'm passionate about this. I don't want to just believe God because it's a good knowledge to have. It's a good thought in my head to have that. I want to know God because it's the best way to live. I want to apply it and I want to use it to bless the world because I believe God is good. Number 19, I'm nearly out of time. There is joy in this journey. There is joy in this journey and I'm gonna finish on number 19. Sorry for all these people that like to go to whole numbers, like 20 even numbers. You know, when you adjust the volume on something, it has to be 20, not 19. I'm sorry for all those people. Psalm 16, 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O God, and your law is written on my heart. I delight in your will, God. This journey is a joy. I could not think of a better way to spend my life than passionately for Jesus. Dan spoke about this already, and how cool was that about youth camp, what Dan shared? I just loved your emotion, Dan. It just shows that you care about our youth at Highway. But I got to visit youth camp on Friday morning, and I got to go with my best mate, Chris. I've talked about Chris a bit lately. Um, Chris and I grew up together, um, and he was the fill-in guest speaker because of COVID. Dan and Poppy couldn't fly in who they had booked, so we scrambled last minute um, to find other speakers. And 
Chris came and he um, did the Holy Spirit session at camp and um, it was really cool to see. But you know what the greatest joy for me personally was seeing someone that you had an influence in their spiritual walk ministering in their God shape. Like, I don't know if you've ever felt that. Have you ever felt or seen or witnessed or been a part of a friend come to know God? There is so much joy in it. Like, I'm serious. Like, transformed lives bring about joy in our lives. And I'm standing there and going like, this is cool. Like, this is really cool. I was there when Chris was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was standing behind him praying for him. And then I get to see him just pray for all these young people and they all receiving this gift of the Holy Spirit. There's joy in that. I took Jethro, I snuck him into youth camp with me, my six-year-old son. There's joy in this journey. I got to pray in tongues with my son Jethro while my best friend who I invited to a youth ministry when I was 16, got to baptize all these young people in the Holy Spirit. And it was this cool moment where I'm like, God, you're so good. There's so much joy in seeing people love you and live a life after you. There is joy in this journey. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know where your mental health is at. I don't know where your joy level's at, but can I encourage you? There is joy in this life that God has for us. God by nature is good. His love, his mercies are good. He wants good for your life. You don't have to stay in this emotional wreck of a place, but I believe that we orient, when we orient our lives, when we orientate our lives towards God, I believe that it's a joy. I believe that doing the will of God for our lives is a joy and it is the best way to live. Can I pray? God, right now, I pray of every person that's listening to this message. God, I just pray, Lord, that something that I spoke about would encourage us to love you more and to live for you daily. God, I just pray over everyone in this room, God, that may be struggling and going through hardship. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are our ever-present help in time of need. And God, I just pray for those that need a freshness of your joy and of your love and of your grace, Lord, that they would receive that right now. Right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we worship for a moment before Pastor Caleb comes? Thanks, team.